So this morning I'd like to um, speak about the practice of equanimity. Um, kind of introduce it and, and we'll also practice together. And um, yeah, where to start? It's interesting that um, it feels like Gina and I very much felt to start with equanimity, to start this as with this with this practice, and then it's also been very much coming from you in the in the one to ones that um, you know sometimes people directly saying, "Oh, this is something that I really want to understand more or to cultivate more." Um, and then just that sense of, you know, what would it be to, to be at ease, to find um, steadiness within the storms of life, you know, that real questioning that's been coming up. Um, it's, it's, it's very beautiful to, to see how these things come together sometimes. Um, so to a great degree, we've actually started the practice of equanimity without actually calling it that or naming it that um, right from the first day, um, just that cultivation of a more spacious awareness, a wider awareness, something that we've, we've already been doing. And, and today I'd like to both go more into the quality um, that we're talking about and then um, deepen also the practice or go into more details with the practice. So... Yeah, it's really interesting for me reflecting on equanimity because the word itself sometimes sounds a bit odd <laughs> or, you know, certainly not um, a very kind of, not very much in common use for us. And yet the quality is something that we're familiar with, with and we have some kind of um, longing for on a very, very deep level. For many of us, it's actually what brings us to practice. You know, that longing for that ability to to be at ease with what is, to be at ease with what is, to um, many people here have voiced it, you know, to to have a different relationship to fear, to cultivate fearlessness is another way of speaking about a community. And since we've um, since we've already mentioned some of the, the groupings that the Buddha used then I'll just put the equanimity in that context. Um, so when I spoke about the paramis, equanimity is the tenth. Um, he, liked to, he liked to put equanimity at, at the end of lists. It's like the cherry on the cake. So it's the tenth parami, and it's also the fourth um, Brahma Vihara, which is another list um, often translated as the immeasurables measurable, unconditional qualities of the heart. And uh, in Pali, the word is Upeka, U-P-E-K-H-A. U-P-E-K-H-A. And, 
Yeah, like many Pali words, it has a lot of meaning. So we translate it commonly as equanimity, but it actually has many, many translations, a lot of meaning and a lot of depth. And I'm, I'm just going to share a few uh, today, because if I shared all of them, it would probably be too much. Um, but just, just to kind of listen to them and see, see how they resonate with you, see how they resonate. So one common translation is to see with patience or to see with understanding or to see evenly is another one. <laughs> Very, yeah, just to see how they meet us. Seeing with patience, seeing with understanding, or seeing evenly. And for me, what it, what it points to is that capacity we have not to get um, lost in the push, pushes and pulls of life. Not to get lost in the this or that, this or that, you know, this in the center of that on the edges, but actually something very inclusive. So to see evenly. And the image that, that I almost always use when I speak about equanimity, an um, image that's very helpful for me is, is the image of a seesaw, you know, the children's seesaw. It goes up and down. It's like one kid sits here and one this would be the seesaw and one child sits here and one sits there and it goes up and down like that. So that's the ups and downs of life, the pushes and pulls of life. But right in the middle, there's a point that stays in balance. Yeah, That point doesn't go up and down. It, it, it's there, it's part of the process, so it's not separate from what is going on. But that point stays in balance, it stays even stays still. And for me, that's, me personally, that image really symbolizes what equanimity is. So it's not something that's um, detached from, separate from the movements of life. It's really in there. (laughs) It's part of, but. And if we can imagine ourselves sitting or standing on a seesaw like that, and how the view shifts as it goes up up and down... (laughs) And, and we know that from our lives, you know, how things change, you know, even within one meditation period in the hall. We're up, we're down, we're tired, we're energetic, we're peaceful, we're agitated. We like what's happening, we don't like what's happening. You know, we're, we're too, it's cool and then it's hot, whatever. Constantly these movements and then that capacity to be at ease or to be still within these movements. Again, not separate from, we don't take ourselves out of the situation, but in the situation, in what's happening. So another translation of Upeka that I've come across fairly recently and just, yeah, I just love is there in the middleness. And it's almost like when I read it, I think this is like something I would make up, but I actually read it from someone who knows Pali better than me. So there in the middleness. 
We can imagine again another image that can be helpful. It's you know, the eye of a storm, like a big storm, like a hurricane. There's an eye, there's a center place in that storm where there's stillness. Again, that's equanimity. Define the stillness within the storms of life. Define the balance, define the steadiness, define the ground, define our feet. There in the middle of life. And when, when described in this way, one thing that can happen is that it can feel very distant for us. You know, it can feel like, oh wow, you know, the eye in the storm, I don't know what that is. <laughs> like I'm constantly caught up in the storms. And we can begin to question that also. To start noticing the smaller moments where there is presence, where there is a capacity to be, even if it's just for a moment, to be with things as they are. Not to believe. Jean was speaking yesterday, not to believe this is Jean. Not to believe this is Zohar. Not to believe this is the ultimate reality and the absolute reality and the permanent reality. So, you know, right now, when, we, when we're sitting in practice and we open to what is happening, we open to what is going on in the body, we open to what is happening in the emotions, we open to what is happening in the thoughts. When right there, we, we notice what's there. Staying steady with the movement, with the changeability. <coughs> you know, one, one practice that the Buddha taught was kind of just, just remembering, it's not me. It's not mine. It's not me. It's not mine. It's not me. It's not mine. It's things flowing through. And they may be extremely familiar. Yeah, they've come back again and again and again in our lives. And so that confusion of attachment of holding on, of thinking this is who I am, is very natural. It's not bad, it's not something we need to um, judge or push away. It's, it's a natural happening. Seeing ourselves as part of nature. So just like water finds its way to go through a landscape. You know, this stream behind us. The water's found its way. And if it rains, a lot of the water will gather into that stream. That's the easiest place for it to go. Similarly, with our own patterns of thought, of emotion. Over our lives, through repetition, that, that's become the groove, that's become the way that things take shape. It still doesn't make that who we are. And so, mood is just a mood. Mind state is just a mind state. Not belittling, but it's just one aspect of what is happening. 
And so, really helpful to remember that equanimity isn't about, it's not about detachment or separation also. You know, there's always that risk. You know, you say, oh, that's not me. That's not me, that's not me. And kind of pushing something away. This quality of upekka of equanimity is, it's not detachment, it's not indifference. It's actually very, very alive and very sensitive. Very alive and very sensitive. And at the same time, very grounded. It allows us to really um, stay in contact with a bigger picture. Again, just seeing something arise in us and just seeing it as one thing that's moving through. It's staying in contact with the bigger picture of what else is happening. So another translation of Opeka is um, to look over, as if we're standing on a high place and we're, we've got a wide view, to look over. And that does really give us the sense of perspective that equanimity has. And so as we cultivate this very sensitive aliveness, this sense of perspective, of wide view, becomes a really powerful um, transformative quality in us. It opens up a lot of possibilities, a lot more possibilities than we're aware of. And I'd like to, to just give an example of this from my experience. Um, so this this was um, in the spring. Um, I was in um, I was visiting um, the village that we work in in Palestine, and um, it was it was Friday, and and the villagers had just started a few weeks before to have a weekly demonstration on Friday on their agricultural lands, um, and the demonstration. Yeah, I mean, actually, the background isn't relevant, but I'll give it anyway. Um, the demonstration was happening because um, the Israeli authorities had been building a, um, a safety barrier along the road that was going through the agricultural road, road leading to Jewish settlements. And when I say safety barrier, I literally mean you know, one of those metal barriers at the side of a road to stop cars coming off the road. Um, so the Israeli authorities had been building this barrier on both sides of the road and um, ignoring the fact that there were a lot of agricultural roads, farm tracks, going from this main road into the olive groves. And so they were building this safety barrier along the road with no gaps, continuous, blocking off the agricultural roads to the olive groves. And even though there had been some discussion and they had promised to, um, to keep at least some of these agricultural roads 
open this hadn't happened. And one, one whole side was already finished and they were well in the work on the other. And so the villagers decided to, to start protest. You know, they're not allowed to protest. Um, and their protest was um, to hold the, the noonday prayer, the Friday noonday prayer, which is the most important prayer in the week, down by the road. So that was the form of the protest, to pray um, down there. And um, so a lot of the, of the men from the village would go down every Friday and, and do this. And um, also Israeli friends and international friends would, would come and join and we were there visiting, so of course we also joined. And um, so there we were, and you know, meeting a lot of friends. And um, and the the jeeps, two jeeps of the military arrived and, and parked on the other side of the road from where the, the prayer was was happening. And the soldiers got out, out and were just um, observing what was going on. Um, illegal demonstration by their standards. There's no possibility of illegal demonstration, so it has to be illegal. And they were observing. And um, pretty soon after we arrived, um, some of the of the younger men and teenagers uh, moved. Palestinians moved and stood just on the um, the grove, the olive grove side of the barrier. So they weren't in the road, but they were right again, right near the road. And as soon as they did that, I could I was looking at the soldiers and I could see the tension build up. I could see them suddenly going threat. And I knew that the previous week that the soldiers had um, used tear gas against the demonstrators. And so I stood there and I called out to the soldiers in Hebrew, which is my mother tongue, and their mother tongue, I called out to them and said, this is a non-violent demonstration. There's not going to be any violence here. Please don't use violence from your side. And I repeated it a few times. And I could see that they, you know, the message had come across and that was that for, for that point. A little, a little while later, one of the, of the, of the young Palestinian guys um, sat down on the barrier. He just sat down on it. And the soldiers called out to him in Hebrew, stand back, stand back. So again, there was this sense of they were perceiving a threat and they were reacting to it. At that point, I called out to them in English, and I said, please use a language that everybody understands. They don't speak Hebrew. The Palestinians do not speak Hebrew. You speak English. Please speak a language that everybody understands. The response was, oh, translate for them. And I said, no. You speak English. Please use a language that everybody understands. So why am I giving this example of the two different interactions? What equanimity allows in a situation which is 
so complex and very difficult, yeah, is that groundedness, centeredness, and the wide gaze, taking in all the different elements that are happening. What are the young Palestinian guys doing? What are the older Palestinian people doing? What are the soldiers doing? What's the body language saying? What's the risk? When is it appropriate to use Hebrew? When is it not? And a lot of delicacy, a lot of complexity. But having that centeredness and the wide gaze of seeing the detail. And that wise gaze can include, wide gaze can include everything. This is why it's so powerful. Yeah, it can include seeing the injustice, yeah? seeing the pain, seeing the frustration, the anger. Well, they're all there. Seeing humanity. You know, the Israeli soldiers, the young guys, Palestinian guys, same age. Very similar mentality. Same fear. Same fear. Same otherness. Same kind of raging hormones of, you know, a, a, a young male teenager. You know, it's, it's this, a lot of, and just taking that all in. And then that can allow actions that are appropriate can allow actions that are appropriate to the situation. Not perfect, not ideal, not fixing the whole situation, but in that situation, appropriate. And possibly contributing to less violence, to less harm. The following week, I wasn't there because I was teaching a retreat in the north of Israel. But some other friends were there, and they later told me that that week the soldiers actually walked over and asked some of the Israeli demonstrators, what's this about? Why are they demonstrating? And to me, again, that felt like, A real crossing of invisible lines. To actually, for something to shift enough to be able to want to know this other, what, what is their need? What is their story? So what helps us cultivate this kind of wide gaze, which is also very grounded, very steady, very rooted. A lot of things help us cultivate, but primarily I would say clear seeing and insight. Combined with, with metta and compassion, that combination. 
And primarily that clear seeing, seeing the conditioned nature. Seeing the conditioned nature of everything. And even if we don't see it in the moment, remembering that that is what is at play. And this is, you know, that is towards ourselves internally and externally in situations out, outside of ourselves. The conditioned nature of all beings, including this one, and of all phenomena, of all relationships, of all interactions, of all situations. Nothing exists separately and independently. We're all made up of causes and conditions that are constantly arising, affecting us and passing. So whatever we look at is in this process of uncertainty, of change, of flux. So how does that, how can that inform, you know, if, if we sense that, okay, right now I'm in an irritable mood, how can that inform we see that, okay, right now I'm in an irritable mood, knowing that things are subject to, subject to causes and conditions. How can that inform that scene? One thing is that it's right now, not permanent. Right now I'm in an irritable mood. And that mood has causes and conditions. Maybe I didn't sleep well. Maybe I'm too hot. Maybe I've just remembered something that I find disturbing, difficult. Maybe I smiled at someone and they didn't smile back. It's all these causes, all these, and usually not just one, but a whole network that's affecting us. So when we see that, we look, and that can really help widen the gaze. It's not just, it's an irritable mood happening. And it's caused by things, but it will change. It's okay that it's there, but it's also going to change. We can also see that this, you know, irritable mood isn't necessarily in our control. (laughs) It's not my job to get in a good mood. And there's nothing wrong with me if I'm in a bad mood. That's you know, not easy to take on, but widening that, that gaze, that looking. If we can't actually control anything for a length of time, we can control things for short periods of time, but not for any length. For me, one of the most powerful aspects of this kind of contemplation is that recognition, that remembering that in the way that I am a conditioned phenomenon, I'm a conditioned thing, I'm influenced by causes and conditions, and so is everyone else. I am also a condition and cause. made up of causes and conditions, and also a cause and a condition for countless other events 
and happenings. So that the choices that we each make, they matter. We don't have that tension of we need to control everything. It's not about trying to control everything, getting it right, fixing, solving, working out, as Jean was saying yesterday, that tries to grab onto things, hold onto things. But at the same time, our choices matter. We need to control, but we need to be aware of that. And when we bring in, bring um, that into our awareness, what we do has an effect. So our intentions have meaning. They're important. Another image that I find really useful and may or may not work for you, it's it's an image and a sense together. Maybe just to say an aside here that one thing that becomes clear through practice is kind of what things work for you, and it's a real exploration. Um, This is not just about equanimity, this is general. For some of us, um, you know, ideas, like words... Um, other way we understand things. For some of us, it's very emotional based. Um, for some of us, it can be a kind of what one, one of my friends called like a kinetic sense. It's almost like in the body, we, we can feel things. And so, part of the the exploration is to just be open to that. How do I how do I meet things? How do I chew on things? How do I digest things in a way that's helpful for me? And so this is something that works for me, it might not work for you. So it's, it's kind of an image kinetic mix thing. And sometimes I actually have this real sense of this web of life that's there. And a lot of the time I forget about it. So I'm kind of running around frantically as some small kind of creature trying to, to, to get meaning, to get um, connection. And yet what is really helpful is when I actually rest back into this web of life and I'm doing this because I literally kind of my sense is that it's there you know, behind me and I can plug back into it and when I do that resting back into the network of life into the network of causes and conditions something can relax and a lot of wise action can come through from that place of resting back into Interconnection, resting back into causes and conditions, resting back into a sense of web of life. So yeah. So peka equanimity is a real sense of balance, of spaciousness, of perspective, and of connection. Connection bit is really important. What stops it from being dry? And it arises through our practice, you know, through the quieting and calming of the mind, through bringing attention to what is happening, through meeting our experience. It arises from that. And it allows us to remain more steady. The image that one of my teachers uses is to hold our seat. To hold our seat, whatever arises, 
in our lives, no matter who or what appears. And it's not reliant on results or outcome. This is really important also. It's not reliant on things happening a certain way. It's a really deep rest into things as they are, into what is. And so the practice, the formal practice of equanimity, which we'll, we'll go into in a moment, is partly this expansion of awareness that we've been doing a little bit here, of just widening the awareness, stretching it out into the body and beyond the body. For some of us it can be, um, if that feels like too much, you know, like too, it gets too... Um, abstract, then bringing attention to the belly area and resting the awareness in the belly can also for some people be really useful. And just experiencing what arises through the sensations in the belly. And a real kind of reminder of this opening to things as they are. Opening to things as they are. And because this is one of the of the Brahma Vihara practices, um, is everyone familiar with this term Brahma Viharas? I mean, I don't. If you're not, please say okay. So there are four qualities. A metta is one of them. Compassion, um, appreciative joy, and equanimity, peka. Four qualities that are called Brahma Viharas. It literally means divine abodes. Is the kind of common translation. Um, a more colloquial recent one that I've heard which I like are the best homes. <laughs> so kind of our best homes. The, 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 actually the best part of us, we can say. They all, the qualities that we all naturally have and that we can cultivate both through um, mindfulness practice, insight practice, but also directly. Um, so they all have... And, and the story that Jean was telling yesterday about... Um, that the monks and nuns experiencing fear when they were practicing in the forest. That's the first teaching on metta that the Buddha gave. Um, but metta and equanimity are often kind of seen as the two bookends of the four. So each of the, those two actually permeates all of them. Metta, equanimity, so that has to depends. And so because um, equanimity is one of, of the four um, best homes, also often called immeasurable qualities because they have an unconditional nature. They, they actually do not have an end or a limit. So they have no cell-by date or this before. They're just unlimited, unconditional. Um, so yeah, many people actually feel more resonance with, with this idea of the immeasurable qualities. And with all of them, the, the formal practice is to use phrases and um, I think today I'll guide the practice in, in, in a minute, but um, we'll just use one phrase um, and we'll just look at, at cultivating equanimity for our own experience. Um, and the phrase that I really love, it comes from my friend Carolyn Jones, which some of you may know, one of the house teachers, is um, May I rest at ease with this changing experience. And I rest at ease with this changing experience. 
and we can also play with it. Now, rest at ease with things as they are. It's another possibility. So it's been a very long introduction. Um, so if you need um, if you need to have you know to stand up or to stretch any part of your body, we have about we'll have about a twenty minute meditation. Um, but if you need to do a, a stretch or a something first, feel free to. feeling what the uh, what a helpful posture would be for this period and when you're ready settling into it. Gently settling into your posture. Inviting the awareness to come into the body. Beginning the practice by grounding the awareness in the contact areas of body and ground, body and seat. using the contact of the body and that which supports the body. It's a way of bringing the awareness into the body and rooting the awareness in the body sensations.
You can feel how long you need to, to stay in that sense of rootedness. Sometimes it can be a whole sitting of just grounding and rooting in the simple contact of body and seed, body and ground. also play with expanding the awareness up from the contact areas up and through the body letting the awareness spread out through the whole body in particular attention to the back of the body And expanding the awareness into the front of the body. And the arms and the legs. The neck and the head. Seeing what works best, just allowing, inviting the awareness to spread out, permeate the body. And seeing if it's possible to Expand it just a tiny bit beyond the body. So there's a sense of the body as a field of awareness. wide space of awareness. And spending some time just in a sense of 
the awareness expanded, permeating, spread out, stretched out through the whole body, through this wide field. Remembering that it will naturally shrink. It might contract. And it does that, no problem. Just acknowledging and gently expanding the awareness out again. So again and again, expanding, widening, stretching out the awareness to the whole body, into the whole field of awareness. The wide expanded awareness feels steady and stable. Noticing the presence of physical sensations. Whatever sensations are there, just allowing them to be, acknowledging them, 
Letting them move through this wide space of awareness. There's any unpleasant sensation. Noticing how the awareness naturally shrinks around that. Gently opening it out again. Stretching it out again without pushing away the experience. Opening out so that experience is held in a wider field. If you wish, you can also include the equanimity phrase. feeling free to adapt or change it in whatever way works for you. And rest at ease with this changing experience. May I rest at ease with this changing experience.
So staying, staying steady in a wide, expansive awareness. Noticing where it contracts or shrinks, either just of itself or around something, the physical discomfort, can be a thought or a memory, an emotion. And you notice that happening, acknowledging. This is what's happening right now. Remembering that this is not the totality of who you are or of what is. Using the phrase, if it's helpful. May I rest at ease with things as they are. May I rest at ease with this changing experience. And then gently expanding out the awareness again, widening it, stretching it. So through the day, feel what is useful. If it feels more useful to just do simple mindfulness, there's no hierarchy in the practices. Just do mindfulness, just bring that steadiness. If it feels more useful to emphasize a kind, non-judgmental, quality talk practice, or if it feels more useful to do this expansive awareness that opens and allows for what is there, reminding ourselves, it's not who I am, it's changing, it's passing. Just feeling for yourself and seeing each session what is, what feels like the appropriate practice, knowing that you might choose <laughs> very quickly, no, not that one, I shouldn't put that one.
combine that sense of steadiness and sensitivity, playfulness and patience spoke about at the beginning. And equally, we can bring um, the equanimity practice in what we would call an on-the-spot practice. So when we suddenly notice, I notice I'm contracted around something, I notice I'm agitated around something, I notice I'm caught up in something. And that can be a time to bring that in, to breathe with it, to feel the body. And if possible, if, if helpful, to use the phrase, or sometimes just breathing with something. You know, not needing the phrase, just breathing with something. Making space for it, allowing it, can really help. And similarly with the walking, right now my sense is um, that for most of us here in this room, helpful to use the walking just as a simple grounding practice. Just feet on ground, feet on earth, really simple, really grounding. Uh, But feel free to experiment as well if, if, if that feels appropriate for you. Are there any questions? I realize we haven't, I don't think we've said that before. (laughs) We're always invited to to ask questions, even if we don't make the invitation yet. One of the things I find I'm I'm not so uh, used to sitting is that I've, I've flipped a bit. Mm-hmm. from one practice to another mm-hmm. I think or I'll, I'll settle with some breath and then I, what I'd like to do is development quality mm-hmm. and then I kind of skitter off sideways and similar mm-hmm. and that happens quite a lot and how does that feel? Well, sometimes it feels a bit scattered, mm. and sometimes it just feels like that's the best I can do. Yeah. 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 So there is, um, yeah, it's it's really interesting with practice because it's never um, kind of never still. Mm. <laughs> it's it's like everything else; it's conditioned, and so it's constantly moving. And I think one of the things we all kind of secretly wish for is to, to find that perfect recipe and just stick with it. And it's, you know, we all have that on some level. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of the times it's just, you know, applying ourselves again and again. Um, what I would say is, it often can be helpful to actually decide at the beginning what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. can be helpful. Um, and to just say, okay, this, right now, feeling in, okay, I'm going to do, even if it's, um, you know, a lot of teachers would say just stick to one thing. I would say sometimes it's okay, I'll do, um, you know, begin with metta and then do breathing or start with breath to ground myself and then go into um, something more spacious like equanimity or whatever. But... It can be helpful to, to just experiment for a little bit, like maybe for the rest of today. What happens if I decide at the beginning of the sitting what I'm going to do? And then just um, just practice, do that with a, a sense of investigation. A sense of investigation. And just, and, and just to see. Because um, sometimes, yeah, there can be these 
experiences where we just we flow through and it's very beautiful and natural. Um, but it's also important to cultivate some kind of um, steadiness with the kind of that, that kind of keeping the sensitivity and the investigation um, and, and working with that. Um, yeah, yeah, and maybe once a day doing that kind of free flow thing and see what, how that is, and just yeah, just see. And you might need to rebalance it in a different way at the time. But, yeah. Anything else? Okay. Enjoy the uh, outdoors. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.